this morning by telling you a story, a story about a guy who probably is a little bit like you and maybe a little bit like me. This guy, he was a guy who was always about progress, and he always wanted bigger and better and more. He was, he was never satisfied with what he had or where he was. And every time that he would get a little bit more or that he would get something that would be a little bigger or a little better, there would be that excitement that you would get from getting something new. How many know what I'm talking about? And man, for a while, he would feel that excitement. He would say, man, I want something new for my house. And so he would, he would get that something new for his house and he would install it and it would look so nice and so great. And for a few moments or for maybe a day or two, he would feel that excitement that look I accomplished something and look I got something that I wanted but after a few days there was this voice in his head that would say that's just really not that good somebody else has better than that and besides that could break or I could come in and I could steal that and the man would look around and he would see someone who would be driving a new car and he would say, I want a new car like that. And eventually he would get a new car and for a few, for a few days, maybe a few weeks, he would be excited and he would have that feeling of he's got something that he wanted. But after a while, there was a voice that would come in again in his head and say, you know, that car is not as nice as the neighbor's car. And that car doesn't smell new anymore. And you might get that car scratched and I could come in and I could steal that car from you. The man would say, I want to I progress in my job, but I want to be more successful and I want to have more notoriety and a bigger office and a higher position in my job. And after a while, he would get that greater position and he would make more money and he would become more successful. And for a little while, it would seem like that was something that would satisfy him. But after a few days or weeks or months, this little voice would come into his head again and would say, you know what, you're not that successful and there are other people that are more successful than you. And you could lose your job. I could come in and I could take that job from you. This happened throughout this man's life until one day in the latter years of his life, he was laying on his bed sick and the voice appeared again. But this time the voice was laughing hysterically. And the man said, what are you laughing at? Why are you here? What are you trying to steal from me today? The voice said to him, I'm not trying to steal anything from you today. I've already stolen your life from you by causing you to be discontent. We've been doing this series over this last several weeks called Overwhelmed. Everybody say overwhelmed. What we've been doing is we've been talking about how so many people in their family, in their life, in the situations of their life, they find themselves overwhelmed, overbooked, overscheduled, bank accounts, overdrawn, and we just find ourselves stressed out so much in life. And it's really kind of a normal part of the culture that we live in today, but we've decided that that's not supposed to be normal for a Christian, that this is not the way that God has called us to live. And throughout this series, we've had this one kind of key thought, this kind of main, main idea that we've said every single week. And so if you've been here throughout, you know the main idea, and it's on the screen there for you as well. I want you to say it aloud with me today one last time. When what I want is less than what I have or what I need, the result is 
stress. And so many people, that's exactly where they are. They find themselves overwhelmed. They find themselves stressed out. And it's all because of this deficit in our lives. What I have is not measuring up to what I need or what I think I need or what I want. And so I find myself overwhelmed. I find myself stressed out. And it happens in so many different areas of our lives when I don't have enough time to do all the things that I think that I need to do or all the things that I want to do. And I'm running around like crazy and I'm stressed out because I don't have enough time for all the things that I want or need. When I don't have enough money to buy all the things that I think that I need or all the things that I want, now my bank account's all messed up and my budget is all messed up and I'm stressed out because I have all these needs and all of these wants, but I don't have enough money and there's this deficit in my life that is causing me to feel all burned out, all stressed out, all overwhelmed. It happens in in our relationships when I don't have everything that everybody wants for me and I can't please everyone and I'm stressed out because I can't make everybody happy and it happens in our circumstances because I don't have control and I really want control all over all this stuff that's going on but there are things that are happening that are outside of my control and there's this deficit in our lives when what I have doesn't measure up to what I think I need or what I want. The result is stress, the the result is anxiety, the result is we find ourselves feeling just completely overwhelmed. And I started thinking about all of this that we've talked about over this last four weeks in this series, and I think it really all comes down to this one little three-syllable word that I talked about in the opening story. It comes down to this word called discontentments. Everybody look at your neighbor and say discontentments discontentment. The reason that what I have is not measuring up to what I need or want or what I think I need is that we have somehow allowed ourselves to be deceived. We have allowed ourselves somehow to buy into this lie of culture today that all you need to be happy is just a little bit more than what you already have. And that's the reason that what I have is not enough for what I think I need or what I want is because I think what I really need is just a little bit more. In fact, that's what our culture tells us today. Our culture will constantly, with every advertisement, everything that you see on TV, on the radio, everywhere, culture is constantly telling us, telling us this, that if one is good, then two is what? better, right? I mean, if one is good, two is better. If one dollar is good, then what's two dollars? Better, right? I mean, if one car is good, then you know that two cars has to be better, right? I mean, if playing one sport is good, then guess what, man? If you play two sports, then that will be even better, right? I mean, one wife is good, two is definitely, definitely not better. Just... That's just trouble. Just don't even, don't even go there, you know. In fact, the Bible talks about Solomon and how Solomon, you know, he had multiple wives. And, and I heard about this, this one guy who was in the seminary, and he came to a seminary professor, and he said, why is Solomon, if he was so wise, why did he have so many wives? And his seminary professor was really sharp, and he said, that's so that when he came home at night, he could find at least one that was in a good mood. Oh, come on, help me out. 
All the guys said amen. All the ladies are like, oh, no, you lost me. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If one is good, our culture will tell us that two is better. And if you, if you have one and, and you're sort of happy, then if you have two, then you'll be really happy. And what you don't have is what you need in order to be fulfilled and be content. And the reason that so many of us run around through life all stressed out and overwhelmed is because we're reaching for that one more thing that we don't have, thinking that if I get it, then I'll be happy. If I get it, then that will satisfy me. And so we struggle running around here and there with our schedules full and buying all this stuff stressed out emotionally and stressed out financially and trying to please everybody because if one friend's happy then two friends being happy will be better and we try to have control of all these situations in our lives and we find ourselves overwhelmed and stressed out because we've believed this lie that culture tells us you just need a little more and what you don't have is what you need to be happy. In fact, it's really not a new lie. It's one that started out from the very, very beginning. If you remember in Genesis, very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the, the ground and the sea. He created the land and, and he created the, the animals of the land and of the, earth, of the earth and of the sea and of the air. And then the Bible says that he took, he took some dirt and he formed a man. And the Bible says that he breathed life into the man. And he said, it is good. Then he said, it's not good that this man would be alone. And so he put Adam into a, sleep, a deep sleep and he took a rib from Adam. And out of that rib, he created, uh, he created Eve and he breathed life into her. And she came alive. And Adam said, whoa, man. <laughs> That's how she became woman. That's some deep <laughs> theological stuff right there. And you know how, how God said, all of these trees and all of the fruit of the land and everything that you can see as far as you can see in the garden, it's all, it's all here for you. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to, to be fruitful and I want you to multiply and you can have everything that you want that's here in this garden except this one thing. Don't eat of this one tree. But you remember what the serpent said, he came along, and basically what he said was this, you can have all of this stuff, but what you don't have is what you really need. Just try this fruit. And since that time, we have been buying into this lie, this lie that brings about this discontentment in our life. And we're overwhelmed, we're over our head, we're overbooked, overscheduled, we're going around doing all of this stuff, all because we think if I could just get a little bit more, that would be what I would need to make me feel content. And we've allowed ourselves to believe this lie that if one is good, then two is better. So this morning, I want us to take a look at this. And if you have your notes, I want you to follow along. And what we're going to do is we're just going to name two traps, and then we're going we're gonna to make two choices in our life. And, and what I want us to see, first of all, is that there are a couple of things that cause us to become discontent, a couple of things that kind of trap us, that kind of just take us captive and cause us to fall into this idea of being discontent. And the first one is this. If you have your U version or your notes, you can write it down. The first one is is this, that is comparing. Everybody say comparing. See, here's what the enemy knows. The enemy knows 
that if he can get you to start comparing what you have to what others have, if he can get you to start comparing your life to somebody else's life, then here's what he's going to do. He's going to ensnare you. He's going to trap you into this place of discontentment. It reminds me of this story in Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus tells this parable about this business owner. And at the beginning of the day, this business owner hired a couple of guys. And he told them, you work for me all day long. And at the end of the day, I'll give you a denarii. I don't know how much a denarii would be. But for our purposes, let's say it was $100. You work for me all day long. At the end of the day, I'll give you $100. And they were perfectly happy with that. They took the job and they went to work. And throughout the day, though, the business owner, he continued to hire other people to work for him every hour, even into the very last hour of the day. And this seemed just fine to these, to these men. They had agreed to how much they would get paid at the end of the day. And they expected that the others would not get paid as much as them because they didn't work as long as they did. But at the end of the day, the business owner decided to pay all of the men the same amount. Look what happened in Matthew 20 and verse 10. It says, so when, they, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But when each one of them received a denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. What happened? What happened here? I mean, when they hired the men, when the, when the landowner hired the, the two guys, they were happy with what they had. They were happy with what he had hired them and what he had promised them that he would pay. Now, all of a sudden, they're grumbling and they're complaining and they're saying, this is not fair. They only worked one hour. They only worked two hours. We worked all day and they got paid the same amount as us. What happened? They began to compare. They were happy with what they were going to get until they started looking at what somebody else was going to get. And how many know that's, the, that's where discontentment comes from in our lives? And so many of us, that's exactly how we are. We're happy with what we have until we start comparing it to what somebody else has. We're happy with our house until we go and visit somebody else's house. We're happy with our house until one day we wander into the model home in the community. And all of a sudden, wait a second, I don't have, I don't have those marble countertops or granite countertops. All of a sudden, I don't have that fancy shower. All of a sudden, I don't have those hardwood floors that, that you just have to have in order to be happy. And we were happy with what we had until we saw what somebody, somebody else had. We're happy with our car. Until somebody else gets another car. And, and then the neighbor says, hey, come over and look at our car. And then this car has got, you know, things that warm up your behind and cool off your behind. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's got fancy gadgets where you can push little touchscreen things and it can tell you where to go and, and all of that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden we go back to our piece of junk. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're, we're happy with our clothes. Till we, till we start walking around at the mall doing a little Christmas shopping. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, I'm wearing old rags, you know? I mean, all of a sudden, this is last year's stuff. It's out of date. It's out of style. I mean, and you know, look at their, their shirt. It's got a little horsey thing on it. And mine doesn't have 
a little horsey thing, you know? And I mean, my shoes, they, they don't have the little swoosh thing. My swoosh goes down because I got mine at Payless, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we walk into the closet and we go, this famous line, I've just got nothing to wear. You got a whole closet full of stuff. And we're happy with what we had until we start comparing it to what somebody else have, has. It, it happens with church. I mean, you go around and visit the neighbors, and nobody's pastor is as good looking as the pastor at LifeGate. Come on. I mean, I just thought I'd throw that in there. But I'm just joking, just joking around. And we start, that's right, Nora's humble, that's right. And we start comparing, right? And so here's the deal is we fall into this trap of comparison and we're happy with what we have until we start looking at what somebody else, somebody else has. I remember when I was a kid, when I was, when I was 16 years old, got my very first car. How many remember your first car when you're 16, right? I mean, got my first car. You got to remember my parents, they were church planters. They had started a church, and the church was only about a year old at this time, and we didn't make very much money. We were just, you know, scraping and pinching every single penny, but I was 16 years old, and my dad, he got me a car. And my car, I remember he drove up, pulled, me, pulled up uh, to my baseball practice in this car, and it was a 1981 Ford Mustang. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And this was in 1993, so this sucker was 12 years old, and it kind of set down kind of low, and it, I remember it, it had some, like, some rust and stuff on the door, and so we went and took that and got it, the rust fixed and got it painted, and, you know, it had louvers on the back. It was a hatchback, hatchback with the louvers. You know what I'm talking about? The louvers, the little shade things on the back, man. This baby, you know, and I think my dad paid, like, $1,700 for this car. I mean, it was piece of junk, wasn't a very good car, four in the floor, right, had a four-cylinder, and it sounded like this, me, me, my friends called it the kazoo, <laughs> serious, in fact, one of my friends bought me a kazoo, and I hung it up on the little, on the mirror, and man, you know what, it wasn't a great car, but it was my car, you know what I'm saying, it was my wheels, it was my way to get around, and I was happy as can be with my little $1,700, 13-year-old car, and it was awesome, and it was great until a couple of years later, and my sister got her first car, and her first car was a lot nicer than my first car. Like the church had grown or something and we were making more money and my dad liked my sister better than me. I don't know what the deal was, but suddenly my little 1981 Mustang was not a cool car because my sister had a better car. And I was happy with what I had until I started comparing it to what somebody else had. And it's a trap. Everybody say a trap. Comparison. Number two, coveting. Everybody say coveting. What, what is coveting? Coveting is the unquenchable desire for more. And it's not, just, it's not just comparing with what others had, but it's taking it to the next level. Not only do I like what others had better than me, it goes to the next level. I want what somebody else has. The scripture talked about it in the book of Deuteronomy, several places actually, but in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 
7, God is talking to the Israelites. He's telling them about the promised land, what he has promised for them, where where he's taking them, what he's eventually going to give them. And he says, when you go into the promised land, I want you to drive out all the people that were in that land. And then, then he tells them, I don't want you looking at what they have and desiring what they have. In fact, he says in Deuteronomy 7 and 25, he says, the images of their gods you are to burn in the fire. Do not covet the silver and the gold on them and do not take it for yourselves or you will be ensnared. Everybody say ensnared. Or you will be ensnared by it. He says, here's the deal. When you go into the promised land, don't start looking at what your neighbors have. Instead, I want you to look to me. Don't start saying, I wish I had what they had. Don't take their things or their gods. How many know sometimes new cars and a new house and more money and stuff can become a god in our culture today. And God says to, to his people, when you go into the place, into the land that I am giving you and that I am promising you, I don't want you to start looking around and saying, I want what they have. I don't want you to covet what they have because it will trap you. It will ensnare you. It will take you to this place of discontentment. And some of us, man, that's, a, that's where we are in life. We start looking around, and not only do we compare to what others have, we start saying, I want what they have. And so if I want what they have, then I have to do what they are doing in order to get what they have. And so I fill up my schedule, and I fill up my credit card and my debit card, and I'm over, overdrawn, and I'm overcommitted, and I'm trying to do all of this stuff, and now I'm overwhelmed because I'm I'm trying to have what the Joneses have. I'm trying to keep up with the neighbors. And I find myself coveting what others have. And I'm happy with what I got till I see what they got. Satisfied with my accomplishments in life until that little voice starts coming along and starts saying, what you're doing is nothing. Look what somebody else is doing. Happy with my piddly little iPhone 4. Until somebody gets the iPhone 5S. And then all of a sudden, my little iPhone 4 is a piece of junk. And I want what somebody else has. Fall into this, fall into this trap. So what do we do? Everybody say, what do we do? What do we do? Well, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to make two choices. I want you to notice that that is a choice. These are choices that we're going to make. The first one is this, is we're going to... Choose contentment. Everybody get your hand like this, put it over your chest like this and say, I choose to be content. Say it again. I choose to be content. See, it's a choice that you make. It's a decision. It's an attitude. It goes against everything that culture tells us, but you have to decide. You have to take this attitude on in your life. It's a mindset that you decide. I decide beforehand in my mind that I'm going to be content with where I'm at and with what I have. And it doesn't matter what the neighbors get and it doesn't matter what my friends get and it doesn't matter what culture tells me. I have made up my mind beforehand. I'm going to be content. See, look what Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 11. And I want you to notice the choice that he makes here. He says, I am, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for look at this, I have learned 
to be content. Whatever the circumstance, I know what it is like to be in need and I know what it is like to have plenty and I have learned the secret. Everybody say the secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. For I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Check this out. He says, I make a choice. I have learned. This is something that I have had to decide. This is something that I have had to learn, that I will be content in every circumstance, in every situation of my life. Look what he says. He says, for I know what it's like to be broke and hungry. I know what it's like to be in need. I also know what it's like to be wealthy and to have plenty. And here's the deal. You can have next to nothing and still be content. I've seen people who have done it. I've been to third world countries where I've walked into grass huts with dirt floors and people with smiles from ear to ear talking about how God has blessed them and all the things that they have. And I look around and I go, you have nothing. And yet with nothing, they are completely content. You can have next to nothing and be content. You can also have almost everything. And be discontent. I've seen that. So many in our culture today, they've got the house and they've got the car and they've got the clothes and they've got the job. They've got the stuff and they're still miserable on the inside. Paul says, I have learned the secret. How many of you would like to know what the secret is? Secret for being content. Well, he says, here it is. I've learned the secret of contentment. He says, I can do all things Christ who gives me strength. Now, that's, a, that's one of the most famous passages or famous scriptures in the whole Bible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We say it when we're, you know, we're about to, you know, get up to bat. We say it when, you know, we're trying to make that long putt on the, you know, on the golf course. We say, you know, we're facing something hard. I can do all things. I mean, it's the athlete's favorite. They put it on their t-shirts and stuff like that. And yet, so many times we take this past, this little verse, we take it really out of context because the context was not about, you know, facing some big thing or some obstacle in your life. Although I believe that it can apply to that, but the context of this verse was really not about that. The context of this verse was about contentment. He says, I have learned to be content wherever I'm at and what I have. And the secret is this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What does that mean? That means that at this moment, I have understood and I have learned that at this moment in my life, I have all that I need to be and do what God has called me to be and do right here in this moment. Maybe not tomorrow or the next day, but he is all that I need for this moment of my life right now. So instead of finding myself always thinking about I've got to have this or I've got to have that or I've got to have this down the road or in the future, instead the secret is I realize that right here in the right now, he is all that I need and I have all that I need in and through him. And if he is all that I need and if I have all that I need, then what else could I want? So I can, be, I can be content right here and right now because I have all that I need. I can do all things. I have all things through Christ. It gives me strength. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. Come on, that's good right there. 
So we decided to go out and, you know, just have a, have a nice evening uh, alone. And so I asked my parents if, if they would watch my, my two daughters for us. And so they went over to spend the night with my mom, my dad. And after we got back, my dad called me and he said, hey, I want to tell you what your daughter, Briley, she's 10 years old, what your daughter Briley said. I said, okay, what did she say? Oh, Lord, what did she say, you know? And she, he said, well, your mom was asking Riley, what do you want for Christmas? I want to buy you, you know, whatever you want for Christmas. And she said, what would you like for me to get you? And he said, your 10-year-old daughter looked at her grandma and said, Grandma, I don't need anything. I have everything that I need. She said, well, what would you want? And my daughter said, I don't want anything. I have everything that I want. And my mom said, well, what if I just gave you some money so that then you could buy what, what you would want or what you would need or whatever. And she looked at my mom and said, Grandma, I don't need any money. I've already got everything that I need. And I thought, whoa, she's 10 years old. I'm 37 years old, and I ain't got everything I want, and I want everything I need. I'll tell you what I want. Give me the money. You know what I'm saying? Come on. I'll take her money. You can give it to me. Put it in my stocking. Right? Now, hey. Probably the next day she probably saw something, you know. I mean, I know it was like me 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, my parents would give me, uh, you know, like Sears and Roebuck or whatever, JCPenney catalog. They'd give it to me and they'd say, I want you to circle a few things that you want there in, in the catalog. We'll get those things for you for Christmas. I circled everything, you know what I'm saying? Like I want it all, right? And so I'm sure that she probably has some stuff that she wants and stuff she would say that she needs. But I just start thinking about that. What if we all had that perspective? What if we could get to a place in life where we had that perspective where we said, I already got everything that I need. I already got everything that I want. I, I'm content with where I am. I'm content with what God has given and what he has blessed me with. And if he wants to bless me with more, praise God, that's great, and I'll take it. But I'm going to be content right where I'm at. What could, that, what could that do in our relationships? What could that do in our marriage if we decided, you know, I'm content with my spouse just the way she is, just the way that he is. What could that, what could that do in our schedule if we just realized that I don't have to do all the stuff that the world tells me that I have to do. I'm just going to be content doing what I do, and I'm not going to let anybody else pressure me in to trying to do something else that they want me to do. What could that do in our budgets and in our financial situations if we came to a place where we said, you know what, I already got everything that I need. I already got everything that I want. God has already blessed me. He has already given me everything that I need to be all that he's called me to be and do all he's called me to do right here in this moment. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I will choose to be content. I love, I love what this says in Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 9. Solomon says, better what the eye sees than a roving of appetites. For this too is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Man, when you're constantly, your eyes are constantly roving around saying, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish I had something else. When you're constantly comparing to what others have, man, it's meaningless. Man, if you're, if you're looking at the neighbor's yard and you're saying the grass is greener over on the other side, maybe instead of looking at the other yard, maybe you need to start watering your own. Maybe the reason their grass is greener is because there's some poop in there. You know what I'm saying? You just don't see it because it's not your grass and it's not your life. And sometimes the thing that somebody else has that we want so bad, they paid a high price to get it and they're stressed out about trying to keep it. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all are helping me out today. And what if, man, what if we just decided I'm going to be 
content with what I'm at, with where I'm at, and what I've got. And man, man ladies, what if you could what if you could walk into the mall? You could just look around and you could say, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I got everything I got. Uh, some of the guys are like, huh, yeah, huh, right, whatever. All right, guys, let me get you. What if you walked into Home Depot and said, I don't need anything? Come on. Academy, come on. What if you walked into Academy and said, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I am choosing. Everybody say choosing. I am choosing to be content. Number two, we're going to not only choose contentment. Number two, we're going to choose gratitude. See, contentment is the first level. That's where it starts. But there's another level above that. That's called gratitude. We come to a place where we choose, we decide Not only am I going to be content with what I have, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be thankful for what I have. And even if what I have is not what somebody else has, or even if the relationship that I have is not what I really would want it to be, I'm going to be thankful for what it is. I'm going to choose to be grateful. And and it might start something like this. I choose to be grateful for for my spouse. Instead of, you know, they never take me out anymore. When we were dating, they did all kinds of stuff to take me out. You know, he never tells me I'm pretty anymore. And he never buys me flowers anymore. And just grumble, grumble, grumble about that. Maybe instead you decide, hey, you know what? He may not do all the things that he used to do, but he's faithful. He loves me. I've never had to worry about, are we going to have any food on the table? Are we going to have a roof over our head? And he's never, never cheated on me. And he's never, he's never, you know, been unfaithful to me. And so I'm going to be thankful for that. Well, she just, you know, she's gained a few pounds. You know, she just, she just doesn't do it for me anymore. And she doesn't cook and she doesn't clean and No, maybe instead you say, hey, man, I'm thankful that she is an amazing spouse who loves my children, is an incredible mom to my my two kids or my three kids or my five kids, some of you seven or eight kids around here. And I'm going to be thankful for that. I'm going to choose to be grateful. Well, man, this house, you know, man, we just we got that brass stuff, and everybody else has that that silver stuff. And I wish I had the silver stuff instead of the brass stuff. And they got the backsplash, and we don't have the backsplash. No, instead I'm going to say, hey, I've got a roof over my head, and it doesn't leak. <laughs> And in the summer, it's cool in there. And in the winter, it's warm in there. And I pay for the payment every month. And I can make the payment every month. And I'm going to be grateful for what I have and for what God has blessed me with and what God has given to me in my life. I'm going to choose to be grateful. I hate this job, this stupid job. I can't stand my boss and those people that I work with and the commute and the drive and the people and the traffic and it's just driving me crazy. No, 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 no. I'm going to be thankful that I have a job because there are some people who don't have a job and they're looking at your job going, I wish I had a job like their job. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose gratitude. I'm going to choose to be grateful. It's, and it's a choice. It's a choice. Check out this verse. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 6. Better is one handful. Everybody say one handful. Better is one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. Better is one handful with peace and tranquility than two handfuls with toil and with chasing after the wind. You know, I wonder how many of us are chasing after that second handful 
when our lives full of strife, full of burdens because we're trying to get that second handful and maybe we could come to a place where we could learn, hey, it might just be better to have the one handful with peace, God's peace in my life than to try to reach out for all that other stuff that I'm trying to reach out for and it bring toil and strife in my life. You know, the second most visited house in America belonged to a guy named Elvis. They give me an Elvis. The first most visited house is the White House. The second one is Graceland. If you know anything about Elvis, you know at one time he was one of the most famous men in America, probably one of the richest men, most popular men in America. And yet, this guy who had everything, he had, he had money, he had cars, he had women, he had big houses, he had number one records, all of that kind of stuff, and yet this man who had everything that you could want took his own life. And one time they asked him, Elvis, do you have peace? Elvis, are you happy? And he said, I would give a million dollars to have the one thing that I don't have. And they said, what is the one thing you don't have? And he said, peace. Better is is one handful with peace than two handfuls with toil and striving. And so many of us are running around in life trying to get that second handful because we're discontent with the handful that we have. And so we reach and we strive and we go after all this stuff and we fill up our schedule and we try to please everybody in our lives and we try to get more stuff to try to fill up our lives to try to have that one thing that the culture and that the enemy is constantly telling you, you just got to have one. You got to have one more. And if you got one, then two is better. And all you got to do is have more. And that's what will make you happy. And so we run around trying to fill up both hands. And then we're overwhelmed because both of our hands are full. Better is one handful with peace than two with toil and striving. You know why one handful is better than two handfuls? This is deep right here. Really, really deep stuff right here. You ready for this? Because if I got one handful, guess what else I got? One hand empty. I know that's deep right there. You know what I'm saying? But if I got one handful and the other one's empty, then when somebody needs a hand, then what can I give them? I can give them a hand. If I got one handful and somebody needs encouragement, somebody needs a pat on the back, what can I give them? I don't have both hands full. I only got one handful. So what can I do? I can give them a pat on the back. If I got one handful and and somebody needs a hug, guess what? I got one handful, but I got the other hand empty so that I can put that hand around them and I can give them a hug. If I got both hands full and somebody needs a hand, I can't give them a hand. If I got both hands full and somebody needs a pat on the back, I can't really do that. I can't really give them a hug. But if I got one handful, I got another hand empty. If I need a nap, I can take a nap. If I want to go pick up the kids from school a little bit early, take them out for ice cream, I got one hand full, I got another hand empty so that I can, I can go and do that because my schedule's not too full and because my, my bank account's not too empty and I got some money to go and do that. 
If I got one hand full and the other hand's empty, then, when, then whenever I leave today, I can walk by the Christmas tree back there and I can use that empty hand and I can pull off some of those ornaments on that tree for people that don't have as much as I have. And instead of just being able to pull off one because I kind of got both hands like this, instead I got a hand free where I can pull off two or three or eight or ten and I've got some room in my, in my budget and I've got some room in my schedule to go and do it so that I can take the those gifts and I can bring those back to bless somebody else who has less than what I have. Better is one handful with the peace of God in your life than two handfuls with toil and with striving. So I'm going to decide. I'm going to live a one handful life so that I'm not overwhelmed all the time. And instead of believing the lie that says, If one is good, two is better. I'm going to realize that I'm going to be content with what I have. And beyond that, even, I'm going to be grateful for what God has given me and how he has blessed me. And when he decides to bless me more, thank God. And I'm going to be thankful and I'm going to be grateful with that. And if he does that, I'm going to realize that he is already enough. He is already all I need. And I can do all things.